0: Welcome to Israel and You, bringing Israel and the Jewish people into focus. Our host is Aaron David Free, president of Israel Team Advocates International. Aaron is an author, speaker, Bible teacher, and an advocate for Israel and the Jewish people on college campuses nationwide. This is Israel and You. Hello and welcome to Israel and You. I'm your host, Aaron David Free, Israel and You is the radio ministry of Israel Team Advocates, and we work on turning the tide of anti-Semitism and anti-Israelism on college campuses nationwide, especially evangelical college campuses where we're seeing this resurgence of replacement theology, which is a teaching that says that God has rejected Israel, He's rejected the state of Israel, and replaced the Jewish people with uh, the church. Uh, you can go to our website, Israelteam.org, and there's so many educational resources there for you. Uh, there's videos about the Arab-Israeli conflict. There's fact sheets. Uh, some of the fact sheets, one of them is on seven factors of the Holocaust, seven factors that that brought about uh, the genocide of six million Jews. And the question is, could it happen again today? And surprisingly, tragically, we're seeing those same seven factors in operation today in our world. There's fact sheets about the rising tide of anti-Semitism, replacement theology, the boycott, divestment, and sanctioned movement against Israel. There's podcasts. All of our radio programs, Israel New, they're archived as podcasts on our website, IsraelTeam.org. And you can go there. If you miss one of the programs on the radio, you can go to our our website, and uh, there's many amazing guests on these podcasts, Coach Bruce Pearl from Auburn University, head men's basketball coach, uh, Coach Dale Brown, former head men's basketball coach at LSU. Both of them talk about uh, the rising tide of anti-Semitism and what they're doing as individuals to uh, curve the tide, stop it. Dr. Marlene Warshawski-Yaholom, the U.S. Uh, Director of Education for the um, Holocaust Memorial in Jerusalem, Yad Vashem. Also on our website, it'll be up in a couple days, uh, if you'd like to pre-order our uh, book that's coming out in just a few weeks, it's entitled The Casualty of Contempt. It's about the rise of anti-Semitism in America, especially within the Christian community. Authors uh, of the book, some of them you'll recognize, uh, Dr. Jay Sekulow the uh, Chief Counsel of the American Center for Law and Justice. He's written a chapter for our book, Coach Dale Brown, Coach Bruce Pearl, Dr. Gerald McDermott, who once was a replacement theologian and uh, has changed his mind, and has written a wonderful chapter for our book. Joshua Washington, who writes about the Black Lives Matter movement and why they're turning against Israel. Olga Meshu Washington, who grew up in uh, apartheid South Africa Uh, writes a chapter about the fact that Israel is not an apartheid state. So a wonderful book coming out is called The Casualty of Contempt. You'll be able to go to our website, IsraelTeam.org, and uh, pre-order that book in just a few weeks. Also, uh, if you would like to receive the Ancient Jewish Concept of Blessing and the Am I Chosen curriculum, you can go to our website, and for a donation of any kind— You'll uh, press the donate button, they'll give you a code, and you can download these, these beautiful pieces of curriculum that will help you in your walk with the Lord and grasping your Jewish roots. You can also follow us on Facebook. There's blogs, there's articles I've written for the Jerusalem Post. One of these articles is a great story about my dad's uh, first cousin. His name is Colonel Samuel uh, Vettel's. And he was the LL pilot that flew the LL plane into Argentina uh, while the Mossad captured Adolf Eichmann. And he flew that plane back to Israel where Adolf Eichmann stood on trial for the annihilation of the Jewish people and the final solution during the Holocaust. And that story is just come out with a movie entitled Operation Finale. But that's an article I've recently written for the Jerusalem Post, the, the anniversary of the landing of that LL plane with Adolf Eichmann aboard. So all those things, you can find us on Facebook, on our website, IsraelTeam.org, and those things are there for your education and uh, for your strengthening and your understanding of Israel and the Jewish people. So today's program, I want to talk to you about your divine connection to Israel. And if you want to see how God deals with you in his love, his mercy, even his judgment, just look at Israel. In uh, the Old Testament, the book of Exodus, the Jewish people are crying out to God for mercy while they're in captivity in Egypt, and God gathers them at Mount Sinai. So Israel is gathered. And then when Israel did not seek God and departed From him and followed idols, they were scattered in various captivities through the Old Testament. And they suffered droughts and wars and destruction. Uh, The diaspora uh, of the Jewish people across the nations of the earth, all a result of of sin. And so that's Israel's gathering. Uh, It's God's mercy. He heard their cries in Egypt. But then, because of judgment, they're scattered. And they're disciplined, and they're spread to the nations of the earth. But there's more to the story. Israel is being regathered today from the nations in the last days. God is doing a wonderful work of restoration. And this is his mercy, once again, in full array for the nations to see God's mercy towards his people. It's happening before our eyes. In Israel's sin, God brought correction and judgment, but he remembered mercy. And he deals with you and I in the same way. So if you want to understand God's mercy and judgment, look how God has related to Israel and the Jewish people over the centuries of time. A scripture that changed my life is Isaiah 63, verse 9. And it says, "In all their afflictions, he, speaking of God, was afflicted. And so through all their scattering, the wars and the droughts, God was afflicted with them he was there in the midst of their suffering god the father was afflicted with his children he was in the midst in the middle of their pain and so we find this in the parable of the prodigal son and that's what we've titled it as as, as christians we call it the parable of the prodigal son but in jewish thought it really sh- should have been entitled the parable of the loving father because in jewish law if a son dishonored his father, he'd be judged by the community, and he'd be stoned to death for what this this prodigal had had done to his father in in wanting his uh, inheritance early before the father even passed away. It was a great dishonor towards his father. And so the prodigal found himself penniless and eating with pigs. So think of this, a young Jewish man who's uh, most likely kosher and he's eating with uh, the pigs. That's judgment. And he says to himself, "It'd be better off for me to be a servant in my father's house. I'll go home uh, to my father's house. Well, the father is on the front porch and he sees his son from a long way off and he runs to the edge of town to embrace his son. Now the question is why did the father run? Why did he run towards his son? Because that father knew when my son hits the edge of town, the villagers are going to stone him to death. And so the Bible says, Jesus teaching this parable that the father girded the father ran, and the only way for a, a man in those days to run would be to gird up your loins. You've heard that expression in the Bible, gird up your loins. It's, he pulled up his, his long skirt from around his ankles, and for a Jewish man to expose his legs was a great dishonor for him to do that. And so this father dishonored himself that he might run towards his son before uh, he came under the town's judgment. And this parable is really about the mercy and the love of a father. He, he says to his son, I'm going to give you the sandals and the robe, the fatted calf. He throws a party. What's this parable about? It's about the mercy of God in the midst of judgment. So if you and I don't grasp the judgment and the mercy of God in Israel's story, we'll fail to understand the mercy and judgment of God in our own story. So Isaiah 63, 9, in all their afflictions, God was afflicted. And it's the same for you in whatever pain or suffering you're going through. We can't lose sight of the fact that God is there in the midst of our suffering. One of my favorite Psalms is Psalm 126. It's one of the Psalms of Ascent. And it speaks about a time in Israel's history when they are coming back from one of their captivities. And the children of Israel, they had been in captivity, most likely the Babylonian captivity. And the reason why they were in the Babylonian captivity was because of idolatry. It's because they departed from the presence of God and rejected his his, uh, commandments and his judgments. So they go into captivity. They're there for many years. And that's the judgment of God. But in Psalm 126, it reveals that right in the midst of God's judgment, there's a great mercy. And it says... When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, another translation says, when the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Nagib. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. And so what this psalm is talking about is in the judgment of God. It's always that character of God that uh, is there as well. It's his mercy. And because God is both merciful and just, you can't separate the two from his character his judgment is his mercy and yeah, i can see that in my own life as i've identified with israel and how god deals with israel in judgment and mercy when god corrects me it is actually his mercy god's corrections will yield a fruit of righteousness in my life hebrews 12:6 says the lord disciplines the one he loves so if we don't capture the fact that god is present in our suffering Will grow distant from him and eventually develop a resentment towards God. And it took me a long time to grasp God's mercy and love for me in my suffering. I certainly never grasp Isaiah 63:9, that in all their afflictions, God was afflicted. And we all have <clears throat> our own stories, but my story is, when I was four years old, I was sitting in a rocking chair with my uh, dad who just built our house. He was a builder. And I remember there was a white mantle, a red brick surround around the fireplace, and there was a fire uh, brewing in the fireplace. And it was the night before Christmas Eve, and I was in my pajamas sitting there in that rocking chair with my father. And I can tell you that the feeling of security that I had, I'll never forget that sense of security and contentment I had in my father's arms in that rocking chair. Well, my dad that night, he was a Sunday school superintendent in our church and uh, he walked out of the house and he drove over to the church because again, it was Christmas time and the teachers were at the church preparing all the gifts and the candy for the kids for that Sunday service. And uh, my dad on his way to church, a drunk driver came at 80 miles an hour, And plowed into the back of my dad's uh, car And my father was uh, killed in the car accident And so all my security at that point My security blanket of my father You can imagine a young boy losing his father Just the pain of that And so as I grew up I grew up with this sense of a deep offense in my heart Towards God Just under the surface of my faith Just under the surface of my skin there was a resentment for the loss of my father for my suffering Uh, I was kind of like Mary and Martha Lord if you'd have been here our brother would not have died I I sensed that God was not there in the midst of my suffering we're going to pick up this story after the break Uh, but in the meantime if you would like to go to our website Israelteam.org and uh, order this beautiful curriculum the ancient Jewish concept of blessing for donation of any kind Uh, You can hit the donate button and uh, you'll be given a code and you can download this beautiful curriculum that will bless your life. See you in just a minute. Hi, this is Aaron Free, president of Israel Team Advocates International, and we are really an educational nonprofit that's helping Christians understand the roots of their faith, go deep in Hebraic thought. And uh, evangelicalism, the millennial generation specifically, is turning away from Israel. So the, the main focus of our organization is mainly on evangelical college campuses where we're trying to turn the tide. Because within 10 years, think of this, evangelicalism could very well be anti-Israel because of the media, social justice movement that is swaying the minds of the younger generation. And so one evangelical campus I was recently on, professor told me they they brought in a speaker from Israel to talk about the Jewish people and there was almost a riot on campus. There was a a group on campus known as the Students for Justice of of, uh, Palestine and they caused such a ruckus that they had to shut down the chapel service. So these are the things happening out there on evangelical college campuses across America. So what we do is we're building a bridge, a bridge towards the next generation to help them understand their connection to Israel. And wonderfully, Israel team has just received a matching grant for $28,000 from a large foundation that has examined our mission of doing presentations on Evangelical College campuses, doing roundtable discussions with professors about this issue of replacement theology. And for matching dollar for dollar over the next three months, if you would like to help us in our mission. You can uh, send your gift to Israel Team, PO Box 91779 Mobile, Alabama, 36691, or you can go to our website, israelteam.org, and you can donate there to help us uh, fulfill this matching grant, dollar for dollar, up to $28,000. Thank you and God bless you. This is Israel and You, bringing Israel and the Jewish people into focus. Welcome back to Israel and You, and we're talking today in the program about God being there with us in the midst of our suffering, Isaiah 63, 9, and all their afflictions. He, speaking of God, was afflicted. So when we're suffering, going through a test or a trial, or maybe in a time of correction, uh, sometimes we ask, where is God? Well, it's reported from German uh, officers that were there in the Holocaust that they heard singing coming from the gas chambers. And what were the Jewish people singing? They were singing the Shema. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, Baruch Shem Kavod, Nal Kuto, Le'olam Va'ed, which simply says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, blessed be his glorious kingdom forever and ever and ever. And so you would think when people are in the midst of suffering, they didn't understand that God is there in the midst of their suffering. They would be cursing God rather than singing him an anthem of praise. But these Jewish people understood that God was there even in the worst part of a suffering imaginable in a person's life. So Jesus on the cross, my God, my God, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And the heavens were silent. And that's the rub, isn't it? We we pray, we fast, we believe, we sing, we trust, but sometimes the heavens are silent. And I always say it's not the sting of loss that's so painful, it's the longevity of the thing. It's like John the Baptist in his suffering in prison, he sends a question to Jesus, are you the one or should we look for someone else? And I really think that there's probably more people than we can even imagine that doubt God's credibility. And and John certainly had some doubts in his heart. Are you the one or should we look for someone else? And I think sometimes as Christians, right under the surface of our faith, we're asking that John the Baptist question. You know, Lord, are you the one? Should we look for someone else? And on the outside, everything is fine, everything is well. People say at church, how, how are you doing? You say, hey, I'm great, everything's fine. But it it's been true for me that even as a Christian, there's been times in my life until I I came to understand what Isaiah sixty three nine really meant for me, that God was there in the midst of my suffering. And I would Right under the surface of my faith there was this doubt and unbelief in God's credibility. There was a young child in Auschwitz and if you've read the, the book Night by Elie Wiesel, the Holocaust survivor, all the uh, the Jewish men were uh, corralled outside and uh, they were going to hang eight men because they stole a the piece of bread. And uh, one of the victims was a small child. And so they forced all the Jewish men to stand there and watch the hanging and then to file by those that had perished. And as they walked by the little boy, uh, his body was so light, uh, the rope didn't uh, take his life immediately, and so he was struggling to breathe just for stealing a piece of bread. And uh, there was a man standing behind Eli Wiesel and he said under his breath, for God's sake, where is God? What was he asking? Where is God in the midst of this, this terrible situation that we're facing? Where is God in the midst of this suffering? And Eli Wiesel says later in his book that he answered this man in his own heart. Where is God? This is where, hanging here from the gallows. What was he saying? That God was there, right there in the midst of their suffering. And Paul says in Philippians 3.10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering. You see, suffering is a two-way relationship. It's a two-way fellowship. As I share in the sufferings of Christ, guess what? He shares in my sufferings. The two in the road to Emmaus, when they were sitting at the table uh, with the Lord Jesus, the Bible says that he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. They, they didn't really know who it was until he broke the bread. And I've always asked, what was it that caused them to know that it was Christ? I believe it was his hands. When he reached out to bless the bread, they saw the scars in his hands. And we don't really know Jesus apart from suffering. And the very name of God, Yahweh, in Hebrew, it's the letters Yad-Heh, vah he. What do they mean? The name of God, his very name, Yahweh, Yad-Heh, vah he, in Hebrew. And uh, the letters are Yad. Yad is a hand. The picture graph of the letter Yad is a hand. Heh means behold. Vah, the picture graph in Hebrew language for the letter Vah, is uh, the word Nail. And then, hey, again, behold. So God's very name simply means this, behold the hand, behold the nail. See, the Bible says that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. It was God on the tree. It was God in the midst of the suffering of the Lord. And so Paul says, I want to know him and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering. Uh, We love the scripture, all things work together for good. And a friend of mine one time asked me in a time of suffering I was going through, what's the definition of good? And I said, when I get all my stuff back, when the lights are green and I find the parking place in Walmart parking lot, that's that's good. And he said, Aaron, that's such a shallow understanding of the word good uh, in the scriptures. All things work together for good. And I said, well, what's your definition of good? He said, good is when I go through a really a difficult time of testing or trial or suffering that at the end of it, when I come out of it, I'm closer to the Lord Jesus. And, uh, I've come to know that since I understood how God deals with Israel in mercy and judgment. Isaiah 63, nine, in the midst of all their affliction, God was there with them. Psalm thirty four eighteen says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Uh, Jesus, he wept at the tomb of Lazarus. He's a man of sorrows, it says in Isaiah 53. He's acquainted with grief. He's borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. So you may be asking if you're going through a time of difficulty, but as you look at Israel and you understand how God dealt with him, even in the midst of trial and suffering, he dealt with him uh, with mercy and love. The question is, where is God? He's right there with you in the midst of your pain. And sometimes God will challenge our minds to get to our hearts. And the question is, a lot of people say, you know, why did I go through this? Or why am I going through this suffering? And the answer is, I don't have all the information. Nobody does. You don't have all the information. You don't know what God's doing through this test or this trial. And so that's where patience comes in. It's a virtue. It's where waiting comes in. And someone once asked, what takes more faith, waiting or working? And the answer is waiting, uh, especially waiting through a time of, of loss, through a time of trial and grief. Someone once said that uh, when you get to heaven and you you, you look at a, a picture of your life, it's like the backside of a quilt that's just filled with, with knots. There's no pattern. There's no beauty. Just all the... The yarn is kind of tied together in in knots. But when you get to the other side, you look back and you see there's a beautiful pattern that uh, God was forming in your life. So you don't have all of the information. And what I always say when I'm going through a time of testing and trial, I say these three things to myself. God's love for me is perfect. And that's true. God's love is always perfect for you. His wisdom is infallible, and God cannot be improved upon. Let me let me say that one one more time. God's love for you is perfect. His wisdom is infallible, and God cannot be improved upon. Someone once said um, they went through a very difficult time, and they said, "I I can't. I don't know if I can forgive God for what I've gone through." And, and the the truth is. No one can forgive God because God has never done anything which would require our forgiveness. God is always perfect. God is always loving. God is always merciful. Even in his times of correction and judgment, uh, the scripture says, in judgment, remember mercy. And you, you, you can't divide the judgment of God and the mercy of God because he's both just and merciful. So if you're going through any type of suffering today, know this, God is there in the midst of your pain and your suffering. So if you don't understand or grasp the judgment and the mercy of God in Israel's story, uh, you won't be able to grasp it and understand it in your own story. And So that's why we look at Israel to see how God has dealt with them over the centuries of time in judgment and in mercy. Isaiah 63, 9, one more time, and all their afflictions. God was afflicted. So this month, if you'd like to go to our website, Israelteam.org, for a donation of any kind, you can download this beautiful curriculum we've been offering this month on the ancient Jewish concept of blessing and also the curriculum on Am I Chosen? Go to our website and find it. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association Uh or American Family Radio.